We're in Second uh, Corinthians, and we've been doing our study, Second Corinthians chapter 11, uh, as we've been going down pretty much verse by verse through this study in the book of Second Corinthians. And uh, last week we talked a little bit about Paul as the writer of this book, but also as he writes this letter to the Corinthian church as a follow-up to the first one, he writes in defense of some of the things and his motives and some of the things he did there and answers some of the accusations that were laid at him by people who were false prophets who came there, the Judaizers, and caused division after Paul was there. And last week we looked at that point number one, uh, and again, Paul likens himself like a father to them, and the title was Father Knows Best. Um, Again, this comes from Warren Wiersbe's outlines. And we looked at Paul's jealousy over the church in a good way. There's, uh, you know, nothing wrong with being jealous over someone you love. Um, Now, envy is, is not necessarily good, but jealousy when it's the context of a loving relationship, there should be a jealousy when someone strays away from that relationship and goes after others. And so Paul demonstrates his heart and shows them, you know, this is the way I am and what I've done, my motives, and he loves them and all of those things. And again, uh, Paul didn't have to defend that, but we get a glimpse into his mindset and into his heart. Uh, and we've seen that throughout this this writing as he does that. Well, tonight we're going to look at that second point and talk about his generosity to the church. Uh, one thing that, and Paul lays it out, is that, um, and I would say it this way, sometimes we as people aren't thankful in the moment for what we have, right? Uh, or who's around us, even. And I think of that. It, a lot of times we don't really even appreciate people sometimes until they're not there. Um, And then sometimes people can come along afterwards and say, oh, well, you really didn't need them anyways. And they were this and they were that and they start to discredit them. And that appears to be what is what was going on in Corinth as there were these disputes that arose. And people were accusing Paul of going there uh, and and robbing the church, essentially, like taking money from them, those kind of things. That wasn't the case at all, Uh, whereas the Judaizers were doing that. And it's interesting that sometimes the same people who will lay accusation against somebody are the ones that are actually doing that. And you see that, you know, in politics all the time. Somebody will complain about the other side and they'll say they're doing all this when in fact they're doing it, you know. And, and you see that it's human nature and it's a sinful nature. Uh, it, but it ought not to be in the church that way. So Paul writes and he sort of uh, talks a, a, a bit about that and you get this in this uh, section of his generosity for, for the church. And then um, the third point, which we'll get to hopefully next week, is his anxiety for the church. He had quite a bit of worries over the church. And it showed his heart. And no matter what, when you love people, you are going to have worries, right? Uh, that is the way it is. I mean, I think of it as a parent waiting up for your child that's past their curfew or those kind of things. And thankful my kids didn't really push me in that direction but there were times when I remember when my son or my daughter were out late working and they didn't get home in the normal time and you you know 20 minutes 30 minutes late and you were like oh no what's happened you know those kind of things and uh, thankfully today some of those worries are eliminated by cell phones but but those are natural worries we all have because we love somebody 
and were concerned. And Paul had those kind of worries for the church as well. So we'll get to that next time. But let's pick it up tonight in verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 11. Did I commit a sin in humbling myself that you might be exalted? Because I preach the gospel of God to you free of charge. I robbed other churches taking wages from them to minister to you. And when I was present with you and in need, I was a burden to no one. For what I lacked, the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied. And in everything, I kept myself from being burdensome to you. And so I will keep myself. And he says, as the truth of Christ is in me, no one shall stop me from this boasting in the regions of Achaia. Why? Because I do not. Uh, why? Because I do not love you. God knows. But what I do, I will also continue to do, that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things of which they boast. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful. Grateful tonight for your word and for what you do for us, Lord. And we ask also that we would be appreciative um, for all those that have well, put their lives into our lives, Lord, many of them who are, are, have put really spiritual things in, into our lives. And Lord, we just pray that we might be a thankful people for that. We also ask God that you would just help us to be a blessing to those around us and to be generous also in what we do, what we give, and Lord, in, in how we, our times that are spent, all these areas, Lord, not for our own boasting, but for Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We have here Paul, uh, and he, as he's talking about his, um, he came to them, and again, there was some accusation that Paul had come there wanting to get something from them. And it, it was something that there was no evidence of that whatsoever. Matter of fact, from the scriptures and the testimony in the book of Acts of the time when Paul was there, you see nothing but heartache and heaviness. And Paul having uh, great trials while he was there at Corinth. And he spent 18 months with them. And here he has to write to them defending himself and his motives of why he was there. And I, I know that sometimes people misjudge our motives. And in doing so, if they truly misjudge them, I mean, that hurts, doesn't it? And you can sense that with Paul. Uh, and yet the Holy Spirit is using Paul's pen to really convey to this church what they were doing, not against Paul, but against God, in that they had accused those who had come and then those that they had benefited greatly from who were their ministers, like the Apostle Paul. And he, he was basically, they were not thankful for what had gone on. And part of that was because these had come along and truly turned the people against Paul, or tried to anyways. And so he has to address it. But he says, did I commit a sin in humbling myself that you might be exalted? Now, what Paul says here is factual. He came to them not in the latest fashion of clothes or in you know living high on the hog, as they say, right? Somebody who uh, is able to afford the meat on a, on a hog, I guess, is where that comes from. Uh, in, and he wouldn't have been. But what I'm saying is this, that that is indeed what sometimes people think you are doing something by humbling yourself because you want something. And Paul didn't want anything other than to present Christ to them and to preach the gospel to them and have the gospel take hold and to have that change their lives and, and a church to start. 
And so sometimes people misjudge motives, right? Because we live in a world where only, you know, you only do things to get something, right? The world says that. If you go out and do this, you know, you'll get that or whatever. And, and that's not the way uh, Christianity should be. We do not do it really even for reward in heaven, although that we do serve the Lord with the expectation of a reward that may not be present now, but will be future. And we do it ultimately for the glory of Christ. Let him get the glory. Let him get the credit. So Paul definitely humbled himself while he was there. And that was the pattern of Paul wherever he was. And I have uh, Acts chapter 18, when Paul came to Corinth. This is the account from the book of Acts. It says, after these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth and found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius, Caesar, had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome, and he came to them. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for by occupation they were tent makers. So we know um, that Paul's skills that he had for work were tent making. And that would have been a valuable skill in that day because they were people that were needed to be able to construct tents and to do a good job at it. And that obviously had been something he'd been taught. And he comes to Corinth and he doesn't come there with his hand out. He doesn't come there saying, okay, I'm the Apostle Paul. I've arrived and now you guys can come and support me. No, he says, I went there and he goes and he finds two Jews who had fled Italy, had left Rome because of persecution that had come. They had been commanded to leave and they were exiled, essentially. And he finds these uh, Jews who were Christians, by the way. We know that because they're part of his team. And they, they laid out, according to the book of Romans, um, put their necks on the line for Paul. I mean, that's the way he describes them as somebody who really, really went the extra to, to minister to Paul and to serve with him. But it says that he stayed with them and he worked. And you say, well, what would that, you know, what would that entail? And every one of us in this room have worked, right? We work and there's different work that you do. And some is tedious work. Some is very hard work. Sometimes it's work that you sweat very much, you know, in the, in the manual labor kind of stuff. Then there's other stuff that's this work that take, taxes your mind and, and all those kind of things. And, and um a reminder even tonight with one of the prayer requests that you know be concerned for those that are out there and they work sometimes long shifts and they do those kind of things and i'm thankful for such people well paul came and he worked and we know that he he did so because that was his occupation and he provided that way god provided through the work to um to do that now paul is doing something that in modern terms there, there was a term or coined, oh, probably 15 or 20 years ago now, called um, business as mission. And it became sort of a popular saying. And it was, it's neat. It's, I, I agree with the principle of it. It's essentially, we used to call it tent making, right? Where there are a lot of countries and places where, for instance, you can't go to be a Christian missionary, right? You can't just go and say, hey, I'm a Christian missionary. I'm here to show up and, and evangelize in your country because you may not be welcome to do that and they won't give you a visa to go and do that. A lot of countries that are like that. So the only option for you to legally go and to be there on their invitation as a nation 
is to go and work. And so there's been a lot of, um, and, and I'm all for this too, because it's creative ways of evangelism, is instead of telling some of these younger ones that are going off into careers, like, okay, you're going to school to learn business uh, skills, why don't you consider using those business skills overseas in a country that needs missionaries? And as a Christian, going with another Christian per, per se and, and opening up a business or helping a business there and having Bible studies. There's a lot of people that have done that. And honestly, that's sort of a counter what we teach our children here in the West, isn't it? We go and get a good skill so you can support yourself. Well, what about going and get a good skill uh, or skill set and then using that for the glory of God, right? whether it's here or overseas or wherever. Paul was the original tent maker, all right? The original one who would go and do that. And he was able to support himself, therefore, and not have the Corinthians support him. Now, mind you, when he first goes there, there aren't Christians except for Priscilla and Aquila. That's it. And then, you know, there's those that he goes and he dialogues in the synagogue, right? And he preaches there in the synagogue. And finally... Uh, that causes a stir. And when Paul threatens to go to the Gentiles because the people in the synagogue were blaspheming Christ, finally things start to happen, right? We have Crispus that gets saved in his household and and there were uh, people at the synagogue that got saved and all of a sudden a church forms and does that. Paul would not have had that opportunity had he gone there and just um, with his hand out trying to say, all right, I'm here, now you support me. People wouldn't have done it. And he would have starved to death, really, uh, in that. Um, I think that that's important to understand. Now, in the book of Acts, chapter 20, we know that this is a pattern of Paul because in Acts, chapter 20, when he's uh, leaving that region and going back to Jerusalem, he's trying to get back to Jerusalem for Passover, okay? Uh, Now, it's interesting that as a Christian, he was observing Passover, um, and he was uh, observing Pentecost, actually, the day of Pentecost. And uh, uh, keep this in mind that in those early days, you have, especially among the Jews and Christian Jews, still observing some of those things as important, but it was also an opportunity to evangelize. And so people were going, and, and that's what Paul was doing. He was going to go there, and actually he would get troubled by going there uh, back to Jerusalem because he would cause an uproar when he preached about Christ and the resurrection. And Acts chapter 20, verse 16, is the account of that. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus, so that he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem. So he had spent time in Ephesus, all right? And now he's going past Ephesus. He's been there three years, all right, just so you know. And he wanted to go past Ephesus and go back to Jerusalem because time was a constraint, and yet his heart is there. He goes by as he's sailing and he says, wait, well, we got to stop. And he does, for he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, you know, from what or from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you. That's pretty emphatic when he says i always live this way among you and then he goes on to describe it serving the lord with all humility and i think that was paul's character he's not bragging i mean 
you're not really humble when you brag about your humility. That's not what he's saying. He, he tells them, I mean, you folks know. You know I came. And I, he humbly served them. That meant he did the tasks necessary that he didn't have to do, but he did. You know, he went and did those things. And look how he did it. With many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful but proclaimed it to you, and taught you publicly and from house to house. So his ministry was both public and private. And he did that. Testifying to Jews and also to Greeks. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, his message was the same. His message to the Jews was repentance. His message to the Gentiles, repentance and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see now, I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying the chains and tribulations await me. So he knew that wherever he was being led, the Lord would most likely have a trial for him. I don't know. Why would a guy do that, right? But he did because the Spirit of God constrained him. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself. What a testimony, really. Because, you know, most of the things we do or don't do is because our lives are more important than those things. That's the way we look at it, right? That means be real. And Paul was one of those guys that his life was really not that dear to him. Matter, I think if it had been dear to him, he would never have gone. He never would have been involved in leaving Jerusalem or even being converted to Christ. Because... He knew what the persecution that would await him and the trials. And he had been now several years doing this. And the history of the Apostle Paul was such that everywhere he went he was beaten or he was imprisoned or he had some other trial. And not only that, but just lots of hot-headed people that wanted to kill him. When he was at Ephesus, caused an entire uproar in the city. Because his message of repentance and faith toward Jesus Christ actually put the silversmiths out of business because, or was in danger of putting them out of business because they were making little idols of Diana, Artemis, the, the goddess of the Ephesians, and they were selling those in the marketplaces and as the pilgrim, pilgrim, uh, pilgrims came from all over Asia to go and worship at the temple of Diana, they were buying these little trinkets and these little idols and now there were so many Christians there that they were putting the idol people out of business and it caused an uproar. I think that's a good kind of uproar when you begin to put people out of business who are doing something sinful. Um, that wasn't his intention though. And I think if Paul had been there take, taking money from those same people directly, taking their monies, he would have had a lot more accusation against him because he would have had... Somebody would have said, see, you came here just to put us out of business and take people's money. And that's not what he did. And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone, preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourself and to the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. God purchased the church with his own blood. By the way, that's a phrase in the scripture of the deity of Christ, because it is the Son 
God the Son who purchased us with his blood. Yet clearly here Paul says God, and it's actually in connection with the previous part, Holy Spirit, who purchased with his own blood. So again, the triune or trinity involved there when you see that. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. So the same thing that was happening at Corinth was also going to happen at Ephesus. And that's just a common thing that happens, isn't it? You can you know when something, something good is going on and the Lord is in it, Satan is not too far away. And he has his workers. He has his uh, false prophets and others that will come. And as Paul says, they're savage wolves. They'll come into the flock. Goes on to say this, Therefore watch... And remember, for that three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Paul wasn't there wanting the wealth of the Ephesians. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my own necessities, my necessities, and for those who were with me. So Paul worked as a tent maker when he was there at Ephesus also, and he not only had his own provisions taken care of, but those that were with him, his teammates. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. Now see, that is a neat concept, isn't it? Have you ever thought about that, that if... If I go and I work harder in my employment, wherever it is, that I can actually be more generous to others? That's totally like a weird concept to so many. That they would normally say, well, you work harder, you get paid more. Hopefully you, the tax man doesn't take it all. And you, know, you put more aside for yourself or buy your toys or whatever else. But in reality, Paul says that pattern really should be that as you work and are able to work, you can actually help others. And I think that's, that's a really neat concept. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And I can say I am so thankful over the years for those that have um, supported ministries we've been involved in or directly when we were overseas as missionaries that here we were with church planting teams, uh, a team of church planters there that in Ukraine, And we had people here that were donating money every month to keep us there in Ukraine during that time. And I always thought, wow, why do they keep giving? You know, why would they even want to do that? And I would say, Lord, you're so good to do that. Well, so that I could go out in the villages and places where literally you'd have pensioners that made a few dollars a month in their pension. That's it. That's all they had. I mean, no money whatsoever. They didn't have money to support a a church or a pastor or other thing but they had opportunity to hear the gospel because others were generous to give and to to do that and help support them and to support their direct needs and those kind of things and i often have said over the years my wife has heard it it is a blessing to be able to take sometimes what someone gives even to you to dispense and just let it go through your fingers and bless others and you know god takes care of all that doesn't he and he, know, he knows that. 
And that's what Jesus taught. It's more blessed to give than to receive. It is. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him. What a scene, huh? What a scene. Paul is saying, I'm not going to see you again in this life. And that's the kind of goodbye he's giving because he knows his time is, is he's not going to get back there. Uh, the Lord had revealed that to him. And so this is a, a goodbye. It's not really a permanent goodbye. It's a see you later. Um, but they weep over that. And how many times have we had to say uh, goodbye to people as they go off and are serving the Lord? And, you know, God is good. Sorrowing most of all the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. Paul is right where he should be. He's going out there and he's, he's ministering and he's headed off to some dangerous waters. And he didn't know what fully awaited him other than there would be some trial to do that. You know, sometimes we, don't, we need a, a longer view than the immediate around us, right? Because I get, I, I'm just honest with you, I, I get sometimes caught up with my immediate and I think, oh no, you know, I'm, I'm 52 and am I going to have... Uh, money to, a, to a retire if I, if I could ever retire I mean all those things work through a man's head right uh, your head and you start thinking of those kind of things and, and then the Lord says listen are you in it for this life or are you in it for me because I'll take care of this life don't worry about that and he has to bring me up short over and over and over again I someday hope to get out of grade school you know with him but that's the way it is um Sometimes we need to be reminded that, you know, there's another place waiting for us where our reward is. There's a story about um, a missionary couple that came home from Africa. That was back in 1910. And they came home from serving, uh, I think it was over 40 years in Africa. And they came back to the United States and they happened to come across on the same ship that Teddy Roosevelt had come back on when he was on a safari in Africa and of course Teddy Roosevelt went there for a few weeks and he shot just about every animal there was you know that he could shoot and as a trophy and um, and then there was much fanfare about that back in those days of course the newspapers would have carried all of that and all the pictures and all that and when they came back uh, here's Teddy Roosevelt and he gets off of the ship and there was literally just throngs of people waiting for him and they were all cheering and they held a parade for him and everything and later that night that missionary couple who had gotten off the ship and they were sitting there in their room that they had for the night and the husband said to, the, to his wife he said you know it's not fair it's just not fair and, and she said what do you mean it's not fair he said, we spent nearly 40 years in Africa and when we came home, nobody was there to welcome us. And the president goes over to Africa and, and Teddy Roosevelt goes over there and, and he spends a few weeks there and they throw a parade for him. It's just not fair. And the wife said, dear, we're not home yet. You know, and that's true. We're not home yet. If we're in it for the parades or the fanfare or that, hey, we're in the wrong business, you know? Because it's really about him. It's all about him. 
Verse 9, he says, And when I was present with you, and in need, I was a burden to no one. He's defending himself because somehow the, they had misunderstood. And after Paul leaves, people come along and say, Well, yeah, got rid of that dead wood. And that's not the case at all. I don't think they realized what they had when he was there. For what I lacked, the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied. The church at Corinth didn't even supply the needs of Paul when he was there. And in everything, I kept myself from being burdensome to you. And so I will keep myself. So Paul had, had made this pact with himself. He was not going to be a burden on the church. The, the word for burden there, it's an interesting uh, word. Katnarkow, and it means to grow numb or become a burden. And it actually is a word that was used to describe what happened to people who got shocked by electric eels. How about that? I guess the ancient Greeks had that experience. Electric eels, you know, those fish that shock you. And I guess when they shock you, they can numb your, your whole body, or if you brush up against them or anything, it'll numb your arm. And so that's the idea that that you can become numb or numb people to things and then therefore become a burden to them. And Paul says, I'm not going to do that. He didn't go there to Corinth to try to uh, make them submit to his ways so that he would somehow now gain from them. He didn't at all. He said, I didn't want to become a burden to you or have you grow numb to me in that way. And I think that's important. I used to tell our students at MBBI, um, because, you know, MBBI primarily is a school that's a vocational school, right? And it's a school that helps train young people, or people of any age, I guess, but mostly young people, to go into ministry. Not all will go in to be pastors or missionaries, uh, and I, I would love to see more, but I would look out at those students and I would say to them, listen, whatever you do, wherever you are, if you end up in ministry, don't be a burden to people. Be part of the solution, you know? Don't just go there and expect that all your needs are their problem. Your needs, you know, are before you and the Lord. The Lord will take care of you. But you go there with the expectation you're going to serve people and do that. And honestly, I've tried to live that way, you know, so that, and I know no matter what, it's, there are burdens that are shared. And I can say thank you to this church for being so good to us um, in that way. But I just, I just say it this way, that there should never be the expectation of people going into ministry that, what can I get from this? It's really what we can do. He goes on to say in chapter 12, For what is it in which you were inferior to other churches? Except that I myself was not burdensome to you. Forgive me this wrong. He's being, and I, sarcastic is the way he's saying it. Now, you say, sarcasm, isn't that wrong? It's sin. No, it isn't. You can, there's something really I call it holy sarcasm. And even Jesus used some of it. And it's to make a point, you drive home, and he's saying this, you know, if I was a burden to you, forgive me, right? He wasn't a burden. And he's bringing them up short on that. And he's overstating it for that very reason. The same thing he says in verse 9 there back in, uh, I can find it. In verse 9, yeah, when he says, And I was present with you and in need, and I was a burden to no one. And he goes on to say, um, 
I robbed, oh, it was verse 8, I robbed other churches, taking wages from them to minister to you. He's saying, you accuse me of robbery? Well, the truth is I robbed other churches. Because you know what? It was the churches in Macedonia that sent money. <laughs> and he wasn't robbing anybody. He's using sarcasm. He's using it in the sense of saying, if you accuse me of robbery, the only people I robbed were those that helped support me from Macedonia, not in Achaia, not in Corinth. And again, that you see that as, as Paul lays that out. And he's, he's overstating something to get the point across. He didn't rob anybody. He didn't become a burden on anybody. But he uses that part of speech in that. So anyways, go back to where I was. Uh, and of course, that is the pattern. He goes on to say in verse 14 of 2 Corinthians 12, he says, Now... Uh, for the third time I am ready to come to you and I will not be burdensome to you for I do not seek yours but you and I like that I seek you it's not about what they could do for Paul it's what he wanted was for them he wanted them to be more like Christ for the children ought not to lay up for the parents but the parents for the children so there's the picture it was um, again, that's the pattern of parenting, right? You hopefully can help your children and help propel them into a world where you don't expect them to come out of school or out of the home having a big bank account or even having a job that pays them well or those kind of things. So hopefully you're pointing them in the right direction and helping them. That's the pattern. Too often, um, you know, parents are so dysfunctional that they think, well, I'll have a bunch of kids and they'll support me. Well, that isn't the way it's supposed to be. Uh, and it just patterns another generation that does the same thing over and over again. Anyways, Paul uses it in the sense of his spiritual children. He had come to help them, not the other way around. Paul taught that, and he had the authority to teach that. And even in material things, he taught that. Remember, to Timothy, who was a pastor, he writes in, in the context of how the household should be managed he says but if anyone does not provide for his own and especially for those of his household he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever now this may not be somebody that's just fallen on hard times or somebody that becomes handicapped or disabled or something like that those things indeed happen but this is for those men that just say i don't want to work or i'm just going to go out and drink my paycheck in with alcohol or those kind of things and there's a lot of homes that have had that happen and you know, when it comes to the household of faith, if you are like that, you're worse than an unbeliever. That's what Paul says. That's pretty hard. And I think, you know, as we look at it, that's what Paul talks about in that. Um, again, I, I think that um, we have to be reminded that, you know, really we're, we're not home yet. And this world is a place we invest. It's a world that will sometimes take more than you can give. Um, and sometimes will shorten your life uh, as Christians because of the heartaches and hardships that you face, those kind of things. But we live for him. And Paul just reminds the Corinthians of that. He had generosity for the church. Lord, thank you for your word. Help us to live by it. Help us to be generous people with our time, with our energies, with whatever strengths and weaknesses that we might have. 
whatever material things that we can share. And Lord, we just thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.